0: Myself and Griff are just sat by a canal in Ancoats in Manchester recording this intro for today's episode. It's episode 89. I was right. Sometimes I lose track. You know, look, here we are. We've got 11 more episodes and it's episode 100. What are we going to do for episode? We've, we've got to do something special for episode 100, surely. Um, but look, let's have a think on that and we'll, we'll sort something out. First off, a massive, massive thank you um, for listening to last week's episode with the majestic Jonas Policewoman. And also, what I'm really chuffed about, not just for listening, but for all those people who didn't know Joan's work, and then they were messaging us, going, right, I'm going to go and listen to all her stuff now, and you're loving it. So, um, yeah, great success, eh? Um, so a massive thank you to Joan, um for the sit-down before a gig, which, again, she's on tour at the moment. I think she's, she was in Cork the other day. So if you're in Ireland, catch her, you, you won't be disappointed. Speaking of not being disappointed, I really hope you're not disappointed this week. I don't think you will be. It's the fantastic Julie Hesmond-Holsch. Um, Julie, we've been trying to, as you'll hear, we've been trying to sort this out for ages... And uh, myself and Griff were doing a few days recording in London and she was there for two days and she was on Lorraine Kelly and then she came over and see me. Um, So it was fantastic and she's an absolute force. Um, She's just brilliant. She's everything what you kind of uh, wish and hope she should be from, from reading about her and seeing her work and seeing her interviews. This is episode 89 with the brilliant... Julie Hesman-Holsch. Enjoy and I shall see you at the end. So can you believe? So, distraction. Um, exactly, oh, yeah. distraction. I yeah. think we all need distraction. Yeah, you yeah, know what yeah I mean. completely, yeah. Um, oh, bless you me. know, I was looking the other day and it's nearly a year since we first met in Edinburgh, Edinburgh. Yeah. for that brief moment. Yeah, outside that pub we're being... Outside that pub. And I think that was, was that your opening night of your one-woman show? It-
1: was or you, what, it will, yeah, I because I would just be Kirsch when I went with my yeah. kids were. No, 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 it was yes, just so you two, and then
0: they would come in. Yeah,
1: that's right. I yeah. think it was, and you were like, yeah.
0: why, yeah. why, why, why did you do that? Yeah, why did I do that? I was going, that is the most terrifying thing. Yeah, and you've never, have you would never have you done it before? I'd done it in Manchester. I did it for a week in Manchester. I did it like at, um, at the Royal Exchange Studio
1: a mm. bit of a tryout,
0: right? With um, the in, with the intention of taking it up. There.
1: Yeah, well, the intention always was. So I said to Kirsch, mm. write me a one woman play that we can like do for the rest of our lives. So don't make it age specific. So it was
0: your idea. It's my
1: idea. Wow. Yeah, I said write it and make it like really like low key, mm. so like portable and we can just go all over the world with it, and it'll tease into our old age, you know, and if we get, like, a break, for, like, six months after, we'll just be like, oh, let's go to, like, New York with it or whatever. So the, reti- the retirement idea. plan, Julie. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so he uh, he disappeared one Christmas. I mean, and not to an annoying degree, either. Do you know, it weren't like, what are you doing? Yeah. Get back up here. He just kept just slipping off for, like, half an hour or whatever, and then came back up after Christmas with this play. It's beautiful one-woman play that's about love, life, time travel, the golden record on Voyager 1, about, you know, Carl Sagan.
0: Did he tell you anything about it before? I didn't even
1: he'd... know he was doing it. Really? didn't even know he was doing it. No, he just came up with it and it's like, and it's called The Greatest Play in the History of the World.
0: <laughs> this is really a brilliant Brilliant title. Yeah, I told him up too,
1: but yeah. The play explains it. But yeah, yeah. So we did it, so we, so we got a producer and did it in Edinburgh and then we're going to do it in London, actually. We're going to do it at Trafalgar Studios oh, yeah. in, in autumn. Yeah, well, over Christmas, over Christmas, no, December. Yeah, the the it's yet to be. We've not signed on the dotted line yet, but it's looking pretty, pretty right. certain. And it's very. It's set at Christmas. It's oh, not yeah. a Christmas play, but it happens to be set at Christmas. Well, perfect so it's timing, perfect. Then, isn't Yeah, it? yeah. That's what you, we're looking forward to doing it.
0: you are looking forward. To I'm back really to doing looking it.
1: forward to doing it because I love doing it. it. It the hardest was to do it in
0: Edinburgh. Why?
1: Well, just because of that kind of. I was at this Travis, so you do different slots. Mm. So sometimes you're 10 o'clock at morning, sometimes you're 9 o'clock at night.
0: Oh, they've changed it around. Yeah. I mean, I thought you always had, like... You know, oh. like with comedians, it's like, we're at 3.30 yeah. for no, the month.
1: No, no, Travis, it's always that. All of the... Um, in both studio and main house, you, you do it in sort of, like, a, a cycle.
0: How so, did you find that?
1: Well, I really liked it because it meant to go and see everything. So I saw fifty plays while I was there. I just wow. ran from one end at ten to all the same plays. I had, because I love it. I'm a proper theatre guy. I just it's my me happy place. I, I can see anything all day long, and I, I pretty much chose brilliantly as well. I only yeah. saw like, I think one that I could say an out and out dud. And that was brilliantly. Did bad. you plan
0: it before? Or did you just get word of mouth? I've heard I planned a bit. I planned yeah. a bit
1: and then left some slots open and everything. So it was mm. it was absolutely eh. So I could so there was nothing that I clashed with, you know. Mm. But just when I got there, because Mark Thomas were on at Travis at the same time, and he said, "Oh, you would be really surprised the morning show." Is, is the best show, because everyone's fresh and caffeinated and ready. Yeah. And the late-night the late one's quite good as well, because people are a bit pissed and a bit, like... A bit looser. You know, yeah, and a bit happy to be there. Yeah. Um, he said that the the late-afternoon one is the killer. And sure enough, it was like... Why? Really, Why? Just tired. Edinburgh fatigued, not had the tea.
0: I maybe had a few drinks maybe at Maybe had time. one. Maybe, and so, yeah. Sunshine, A lot draining. of doses.
1: A lot of doses, a lot of, um, yeah... And and it's, for me, that was the oddest thing about it, is that it, it felt, well, I was trying to define it when I was doing it. I was like, what is this feeling I've got? And I thought, I'll tell you what it is. It's, like, almost sociopathic to be telling a story to somebody and looking yeah. them in the eye because it's a story show, so mm. you're actually, like, engaging the audience, and I use the audience a little bit in it as well. We use the shoes and stuff. It's yeah. dead, enough. But, like, talking to them, and when somebody has, like, clearly doesn't want to be there or is actually falling asleep like in life you just go like oh well how are you <laughs> you'd stop wouldn't you would stop would not you would yeah. just stop speaking yeah. but there you're just like do you know what I can tell that you're really not into this but I'm going to carry on for another 90 minutes
0: Hello!
1: <laughs> i I really, really, are. I feel like I'm like too socially skilled to yeah. do that kind of show and just be like, well, I don't, I don't give a shit. So I'm just going to carry <laughs> on. my they were just like, oh, I'm really sorry, I'm holding you, you know. And it is, it's just Edinburgh fatigue. When we went back to Manchester, because I then I did another stint at Royal Exchange with it yeah. And it was like, oh, god, it's brilliant, yeah, because people have come for a night out. You know, it might yeah. be the only thing they see in that month. Yeah, you know, Edinburgh, it could be like one of like five things they see in that day. So, so a completely
0: different audience, you know,
1: completely different audience, and brilliant, you know. I yeah. mean, I'm really, I really enjoyed it, but it was i like, it was it was a challenge for did me you learn like it yeah, I feel like I did, I feel like I did, and we 're doing it so often as well i don 't think i 've ever done such a long run or something, mm. you know, like just me especially and and it it was nice, you know, knowing what works and being able to get a bit free with it. Mm.
0: I've got to really learn
1: it all again now. It's like
0: it'll it'll be there. It'll be if somewhere. Sort of unlock it. Yeah,
1: it's somewhere yeah. in it. Yeah, there's bits of it that are a bit foreseeable. You it,
0: were you knackered yeah. by the end of the month, like because you were seeing everything? No, I don't get knackered. Don't you? No. Why don't you get
1: knackered? I don't I live in terror of it. I, my, I, I live in absolute fear of being tired. Like, if I'm going to bed really late and I know I've got an early start, I'm like, oh, oh my God, I'm going to be tired. I'm going to be tired. And I'm, I'm never tired. I mean, I really,
0: really am tired. Well, I get a bit like I get a bit like, even though, well, you know, sometimes we know I've got to go to bed because I've got to get up at five yeah. o'clock. Yeah. And I've got to look at what, or what I, I don't I have a watch, so I don't know why I'm what, what I mean? I'm doing. I'm looking <laughs> at the clock, and it's like one o'clock in the morning. Yeah. I'm going, well, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. You're an idiot. Yeah. But then I go to bed and I'll,
1: yeah, and then you just can't, can't sleep. Can't sleep. I know, no. No, that, that's it. It's like, the, the, the big thing for me is the fear of it. But and I, 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 I say it all the time to curse Meals when I'm like, "Don't, don't, don't. I am like do not do not i do not get tired. Why am I so frightened of it? I can pretty much keep running. I don't know what it is.
0: Even when, like, you've, you've got massive days filming?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I sometimes, I mean, you know, I have a nana nap sometimes in the afternoon, you know. I'm, 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 like, absolutely I'm happy all to have a little bit of power a... Nap. Nap. A totally. good twenty minutes. Yeah, yeah. Especially after pudding. Like if you're doing like a if you
0: Christmas day snooze do like. Oh, late?
1: I can't do it now. You know, it's like and, and catering trucks, It's like, yeah, this is so hard. It's in his blood, sweat and tears, isn't it? You know, catering <laughs> trucks, It's like I can't have pudding. It's like Mogadon. It's like, literally, as I'm eating it, I'm falling asleep. <laughs> it's not sli- It's not tiredness. It's like, it's carbicide. It's just like, I can't do so this. I'm like, oh. It's like, so if I need a nap in the afternoon, just, just have like some you know, apple crumble and custard. That's it. That's me done. Oh, away yeah, you yeah, go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Have you always it. been like
0: that with your energy? And- yeah, I think so.
1: But I think I've got better as I've got all day. It what- mean, I think the younger people just get tired more, don't they? It's like... So it's people in their teens and 20s and they're constantly exhausted and you're just like, "God God's
0: sake. Moaning.
1: Doing what? What morning. are you not me? Are you tired for? I, I were up at six like, the morning kid. What mean you <laughs> Saying they're too tired to go to school. It's like, you know, <laughs> all, all day long I'm dealing with tired people. It's like, <laughs> I'm like oh, I'm tired. Oh, I'm. It's just, like, so boring. I always tell this story when I were at Lambda... I had this really inspirational amazing teacher, Brian Asprey, who comes here to Maze On Beautiful Lords actually. Tony totally thought I was meeting him here. And he and he set up in the seventies with his wife Yvonne Bryce London who was an amazing actor and uh, Athol Fugue the playwright, they set up the first multiracial theatre company in South Africa called the Space in Cape Town. It's not quite as well known as the Market, but it was it was the one. Mm. And uh, they put on all Athol Fugue first plays and stuff that you know eventually transferred to the National and you know made him a massive name internationally. And uh, and when they set up that theatre company, it was completely illegal because they were using black and white actors, mm. and the black actors would come from the incredibly gruelling jobs as cleaners for rich white people or gardeners for rich white people. And they'd do a day's work after having travelled from the townships into Cape Town. Then they'd go to the theatre and then they'd rehearse play into the early hours of the morning because that's the only time they were available to do that. Yeah. And if they were raided by the police, which they were on a regular basis because black and white people weren't allowed to work together... They they police brooms just teach strategically around the rehearsal space, so if the police came in they just pretend to be cleaning. <laughs> They're like, Oh no, we're just cleaning, we're just cleaning. Like, no, no, nothing to see here, nothing to see. It's all white playing. You know, it's like, yeah. <laughs> And um and I always say, you know, it's like, yeah, they were they were probably quite tired <laughs> <laughs> And I bet they didn't moan about it nearly as much as half of the actors I know now, you know, who just like who've been like picked up in a car <laughs> from the lovely hotel room to go to like it's just like it's, it's a bit I think it's a bit of a plague, you know, in profession, you and know. And sitting
0: down and then being fed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just sitting it's down exhausting. again. Opening it's your gob, awesome. sitting down again. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I <laughs> have to learn my lines for this. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah, so I always have them.
1: I always have those like black South African actors in my head whenever anyone's kind of like giving me some of that. you', well, know, I think we should. Of, yeah, a little bit of perspective. Not a bad things sometimes, innit? Exactly. It's like, yeah.
0: Julie, can we yeah. talk about growing up? Yeah. Where were we?
1: So I grew up in, in Church, which is a little bit of Accrington. Um, yeah. Famous for Accrington Stanley, obviously, the football team that is no longer a joke, doing very well now. And There'll actually, be some people who
0: won't remember that reference.
1: Yeah, yeah it was an advert. <laughs> yeah. It's like mostly what people remember. There's the Accrington Pals, which, of course, is a beautiful play yeah. based on real events. You know, most of the men in the town got wiped out in World War I. Uh There were a battalion who went out and uh, Accrington and Stanley. So there was an advert where
0: It was milk one. It was a
1: milk advert, yeah, Yeah. and it was like a.
0: Don't do milk adverts much anymore, do they? No, no. (laughs) Those days are gone.
1: Yeah, they are, aren't they? Yeah, (laughs) don't really need much advertising, does it? It's like (laughs) maybe again now though. Everyone's like on the oat milk now, aren't they? Um, Yeah, it was like (laughs) yeah. So it was like oh, if you if you drink your milk, you'll end up playing. For Accrington, if you don't drink your milk, you end up playing for Accrington Stanley Stanley, because they're a bit of a joke. And it was like, who's Accrington Stanley? Stanley? Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, so that was the big gag. Uh, Yeah, so I grew up there. Um, to John and Maureen, um, who were uh, just ace, actually, just brilliant, just really, really ordinary Accringtonian people. Born and bred there. Both worked in offices. Um, both from, you know, really working class backgrounds. Yeah. We've done a terraced house. They did a pools round on a Thursday night. Um, which is like, like the, the abiding memory of my life. Well, Cause the like, pools like, round. Because yeah, they never, ever missed it. So it was like, that was my night to watch fame. Top of the Pops, and then a disaster movie. <laughs> it was a disaster movie on on yeah. So it was always them on, like, table behind me, sort of came to sit up and like, and they'd let me, like, play with the spot of the balls. <laughs> Just, like, try and guess them. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I had an older brother, Dave, who um, was seven years older than me, and he, uh, he... ..who's now, amazingly, a professor of media at Leeds oh, Uni. Wow. Um, so he was the first in our family to go to university. So my dad had had this, this really, really, really hard upbringing where his, um, his mum had died when he was born, so he never knew his mum, and he was brought up by his dad and his grandparents, and then his dad remarried. And my dad was really, really bright boy and and a really exceptional person, and mm. always was, actually. Mm. So even though he came from, you know, from nothing, really, he always had a real love of art and music, and, uh, and that just came from him. And he passed his 11-plus, but he had a stepbrother who was the same age as him, who didn't pass his 11-plus. Yeah. So it was decided that my dad wasn't allowed to go to grammar school. And back then, that just meant the end of your education, really. Mm. So he left, I think, at 12 and became a butcher's boy. Right. So he was pretty much self-educated after that, and did his national service the year after the war, so I right. just missed it. But, like, actually really grew a lot in that army experience because there was, like, a, a music appreciation society, and he was the only private who'd go to it. It was all office. Yeah. But he'd go along because he, so he could find his lovely like Chopin and stuff And so growing up, I was a really, really ordinary house of football pools And, you know, fireworks in back garden yeah. on know, bonfire night and just like, yeah, just the <sighs> absolute usual, mm. you know Radio 2 love songs when you're having your dinner on Sunday and all that <laughs> and, then, and, and my mum was just like a clerk at a factory, a wallpaper factory down the road and, uh, but, but our house was full of, like, books of poetry and classical music, LPs and stuff. Yeah. And so, so my dad always felt like me and Dave had, had, had appeared as by magic from Norway. It was always like, it's a, it's a big phrase in our house and still, it's like, what have, what have we bred more? What have we bred? <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, and I think, well, no, actually, you know, because they were, we were very much kind of like in a, quite unusually artistic household. And for me, having having that, so my mum was big into musicals, so we were always like watching Elvis films and musicals and like going to, and my dad had like quite a a posh friend from work, who lived in, in Middleton? Right, and he'd take us to see like the big shows in Manchester at Royal Exchange, and uh, and also you know my school was great. It was just a comp, but but really good teachers who take us to theatre in Manchester and stuff. I mean, my dad always encouraged that stuff, even though it, it was a bit outside their own experience, yeah. you know. And so they
0: never had that. Yeah,
1: oh, absolutely yeah. not. That were not part of their world at all. And my brother. Um, because he was seven years older than me, was was a punk. So, so I got this all this influence. God, you're getting it from everywhere, oh, yeah. handles, so aren't you? Oh, look it, yeah, yeah. and also like at the dog end of like, really good comprehensive education as well, where your teachers who were like writing like full length school plays about Peterloo Massacre in rhyming couplets. You know, and, like you know, stuff, you know stuff that you just wouldn't get that it would now. Not, you know what happened? No, now, would it? just amazing. So it was kind of like that's so not even, on the curriculum. No, it really isn't, <laughs> as we know. You know. You know, it's kind of but things that like should be, shouldn't yeah, they? I mean, yeah, completely. Well, that's the way yeah, I mean, that's the I, I'm like one of the only people in my generation who actually knew about Peterloo, mm. and it was because of that, you know, because Mr. Wormsley at school. And so, I was dead lucky to have like a series of teachers who just really encouraged it, you know, mm. and like and, and saw us not just as kind of like a bunch of factory fodder or whatever but was people who could actually you know appreciate or oh, you might amount and, to
0: something yeah instead yeah. of yeah you're right yeah
1: completely yeah. And, and and because Dave was older than me and then and got a scholarship to go to Oxford which was like the best thing that ever happened to my dad because of his thwarted education because yeah, sorry I, I skipped so when my dad was um, 16 mm. his dad um, really had, had, had suffered from massive mental health problems took his own life so my dad was uh then thrown out by his stepmom and, and left to live with aunties who were wonderful. Ugh. But he had, he had this life that was just kind of, you just, he was a classic person that you think, what could you have been? Do you know who yeah. might you have been? So when my brother went to Oxford, and my brother had like a quite a sort of like, um, I don't know, ambiguous relationship with that as a working class lad going so. So when I got into Lambda seven years later, he was like, I know you've got a real like, a sense of your identity as a woman, but do you ever think about class? And I was a bit like, well, you know, we've got like a fridge and car, haven't we, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I have no sense to... Because we were all the same class in Aki, really. Do you yeah. know what I mean? I yeah. mean, they were... They were they, it, it's like a spectrum, but we were, we were all on it. Do you know what I mean? And then and he was like, no, you're going to meet some really, really... Posh people at Lambda, and you know, don't take any shit from them. And mm. uh, and when I went down, and and suddenly I was like in a year with people from Eaton and Harrow and stuff, and and uh, I became really chippy then about class and stuff. Did, was, yeah, yeah, yeah I, did, did you, I did. Do you think
0: that was it? Just came out? or was that enforced because you were being made to feel different? Because it's funny in it sometimes. Because we all oh, years ago, I think sometimes I would have put up a wall straight away. So you go. You can't touch me because I'm I'm from the north.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: So, so before you attack me. Yeah. Because yeah. I know that you're you're probably uh, much more intellectual than I am. Yeah. So I'm going to do this to yes, counteract. Yes. To counter be, it to, to and before be like, you do it. Well,
1: I see that. I see that a lot in people.
0: You even, know. Even now, uh, I still see absolutely that. Absolutely,
1: see it a lot now, and especially in men. Actually, mm. I think it's a real kind of thing of like the. I suppose because I'd because I'd like. Visited Dave at Oxford and stuff. I weren't quite so green. No, no, I was a bit more on it, but mm. I, was, I was a pain in the arse.
0: Why? You,
1: well, because I think I was, like, I was posturing, really. So I started having not really had any sort of sense of, like, myself as a working-class person. Because, you know, this was the 80s as well, and I had all the privileges of being a working-class kid in mm. the 80s in that I got a full grant to go to drama school, full maintenance grant, you know, everything paid for. When I left drama school, I could sign on, get full housing benefit. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It was like, so I, I had those, like, really really key years of dossing around with mates, working in pubs, signing on setting up a theatre company with this inspirational teacher from Lambda. You know, we'd set up a theatre company for three years. Rufus Norris directed his first play there and went on to run that theatre. You know, and those things aren't like available to people now and I took it completely for granted. I never thought that would be taken away, you no. know, and I'm full of regret that I wasn't part of a bigger fight to save that stuff because obviously it always happens insidiously, doesn't it? It mm. doesn't happen like, you know, it's not like there's an announcement. No, there's no there's Tomorrow no there'll be no grants, you know. <laughs> there's it's no like, warning bell, is no, there? No, no, really it yeah, that's, that's gone, that's yeah, not there anymore. Yeah, yeah, and suddenly you're like, hang on that. a minute, this that's not available now to, yeah. to my niece and, and to other people. And
0: So we'll just shut that door to all you yeah, lot. Yeah,
1: completely, and, and, I really, and I really feel that now. So, so you know, I was in a place of a massive privilege, weirdly, as a, as a working-class person, that, growing up then, and that mm. was only that shit, do you mm. know what I mean? But it was the dog end, uh, uh, you know, that shit, before everything started to be taken away properly. Yeah, of course, so, so I think I went. I, w- I was posturing a little bit as that because my brother had had been, you know, a working class punk and had gone to Oxford and was like, "You just sort that out. You get, you give it a, you give it a right, good old, you know." You know if anyone likes, if anyone takes a piss out your accent, spit in the face, kind of thing. You know, I didn't go that far, but no. I was, but I was a pain. And, uh, did you
0: know it at the time you were a pain, or did you catch yourself on? I think
1: people told me I was, you know. Oh, did someone pull you aside? I think so. I think people just were just like, I mean, someone who turned out to be a really great friend of mine who was an Etonian, like in the first week was just like, I don't know whether I can cope with this, like mm. being, with, being with this oik, like, you know, just too much, just mm. too much, you know. And it's funny, innit? You, know, you, you get. I saw a play about Andrea Dunbar, who wrote Rita Bob 2 the other night, a brilliant play called uh, Black Teeth and a Brilliant Smile, and it's like a fictionalised version of of her life based on a novel about it. Yeah. And and it really struck me then that uh, how you learn to pass... You know, and you learn the ways, especially in this profession, because you've got to be able to be in rooms with people of all different classes and all different backgrounds and sort of past, you know, and to be able to speak. And, and we all know that actor who's like a real pain in the arse, who just doesn't know the rules. Mm. You know, and you're just like, oh, just learn the rules, learn the rules. And, and, and they rail against the kind of, like, industry and the machine and they're like, why can't I get anywhere? And you're like, you just haven't, you haven't learned the rules and there's no way you're teaching you those rules. Yeah. You've just got to find it yourself. And, and it's a weird thing now, that, that the knocking off of edges of people is, is, I don't think, anything that we'd ever say we want to do, but we end up doing. You know, we, we only sort of revere it. Andrea Dunbar now. But, like, then, then, she was a pain in the ass, yeah. you know. She was just like, oh, she's a nightmare. We can't get her to finish your second player, We can't get her to do this. You know, she's just, like, pissed all the time. She's like, you know, it's kind of... So, so yeah, so it, 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 it's funny, that experience of moving away and doing that. And I was, like, out of my mum's control for the first time, so I kind of completely lost control. I mean, I was, like, drunk. I think I was just, like, pissed for, like, three years, you mm. know. And beyond, you know, I was just like something like, you know, I, I, was, I was a bit of a skivvy, you know, there were lessons that I was just like, I don't need to go to that. I never went to like a historic dance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do I need that for? No, I'm not, i really regret it, you know. I'm like, oh, I'd love to do all that you know, stuff now, you know, and get good at it, because it's all like part of, you know, the person you become, is it, yeah. you know. But yeah, yeah, so it's, um, so it was, a, a re- but it was a really happy and lovely upbringing, actually. And my dad, for, you know, He he struggled uh, with depression throughout his life because of the terrible things that had happened to him in his life that he'd had to cope with without any support or help, really, you know, in in any sort of formal way.
0: Was he very open about that? Because I'm just thinking about that different generation, especially of males who wouldn't... You know, and especially a northern male like yeah. that would be putting on a front going, "I'm okay, I'm yeah. fine, and I'll get through this." Yeah. It is what it is.
1: He weren't like that. No, it yeah. was. It was always very, very hush hush that my granddad had taken his own life. You know, that was something that was revealed to me very late on in life. It was, was it? always very, you know, that was a, a source of shame. Still, I think was it shame? Yeah, yeah. There was a bit of like, it. That's a, That's a very private. I mean, even now when I'm talking about it, I feel a little bit like. oh... I, I feel a bit tentative about it because Mm. it's a family story that's been sort of kept quite quiet for quite a long time. And it's, and it's just really important because of the aftermath of it and the way that it affected my dad. But what my dad had was this love of nature. He was a big walker, always a massive walker. So he found great solace in that, in art and music and poetry, but also in daftness. He was, like, daft as a brush. <laughs> and my, my whole childhood was just, like, the soundtrack to it. it was daft songs and hymns and poems that he'd write. And when he died a few years ago, like, the number of people who brought postcards that he'd just randomly sent him with funny, like, just stupid bad rhymes about him and stuff. And he'd just ring people up just out of the blue because he was thinking about, you're, you're on my mind! You're on my mind, I'm worrying about you, you are you all right? He'd send him a little postcard. He was just like... Seriously, one of the loveliest people. I was that, say, that sounds ever. so lovely and it, it, fun. Oh, he was. What, oh, fun. yeah, yeah. And so, so like the healing, like of that sort of sadness in our family was daftness, You know, and it's like. I mean I'd ring him up and we'd just talk gobbledygook to each other. My mum used to go mad, you know, and we'd play fight. That was his way of showing affection. Mm. We'd, we'd be fighting all the time. Someone came to the door and me like, my mum put a stop to it right after that. Someone came to the door. We knew as well when door went, because we were proper scrapping in life like, like You're playing up to, to her. in front door, yeah. ran upstairs and someone at the front door was like, Is the young lady all right? And I had to come downstairs and be like, Yeah, we'll just play <laughs> fight. Like, but thank you, it's brilliant that you came and checked. You know? And my mum was like, That's it now. No like no, no more of this. <laughs> and then, um, and then when he when he if, in his latter days he had to go into a home, and actually, what was really wonderful about that is that he was never he was never very physically affectionate person with dad. He was the kind of person he'd like hug you but he'd sort of push you away at the same time. Yeah. It was all like fighty that's how it, it took me a long time to get that out of my system, you know, that like you know, knocking seven bells out somewhere. <laughs> that, that, that isn't the way to tell someone you love, love them, you know? You're like, oh come on, let's get oh, let's get your phone like, I'll give you a duffing. It's like, you know he yeah, yeah and, and latterly when he was in the home like all his self-consciousness went away because he had dementia. Right. Which sort of came and went, you mm-hmm. know, so it was like and and I could sit with him and like hold his hand and read poetry to him and play like Mozart to him and stuff. And we and it was like we just kind of, like, it all fell away, really. And it was it was beautiful. So my brother really, really, really hated him being in that home. And understandably, you know, because it, it's a horrible thing to have to well, do. Well, it's kind
0: of the last place that we want to see someone that we love. Awesome. But sometimes it's... When they need the care. When they need the care, and we, we can't give them that. No. And professionals can. Exactly.
1: Exactly. And I had to do it for my mum's sake as well. She just couldn't, you know, and... and but he but it was I actually had a real soft spot for that place because it suddenly it was just like
0: especially when all that was chipped away, yeah, yeah and he yeah. could be so close to me yeah,
1: yeah, completely, completely, and still the daftness, yeah. right to the end, you know, and when he, on the day he died, well well, when he went into hospital just before he died, you know he was like he, he was in a terrible state, and uh, but his eyes like were just like shining blue, he had beautiful blue eyes. And the nurse was like, do not he have beautiful eyes? And I was like, yeah, yeah. And he was still, like, communicating with people and everybody loved him and met him. I mean, you know, he was, he was you know, in his 80s when he died. Yeah. And they were, we couldn't fit everyone in the crematorium. There were people, like, packed outside. It was, like, extreme. All my mates come up, came up from all over the country, you know, because... He was, he was special. How oh, so. amazing
0: that even right at the end he never lost the daftness. No, no, that, right that, to that the end. That most important yeah, thing was yeah. still there.
1: Completely, completely. Daphness and pride and love, just absolute love. And my mum's the same. and my mum on the other hand is like, absolutely. my mum looks like an absolute classic little old lady. I often say, you know, like, I, I can't find her in a sea of other sort of pastel <laughs> M&S tops and dudes, you know, it's like, she's like... But she's fierce. She's fierce. And and any backbone I have, any, any sort of, kind of, like, comes from her, she's absolutely... And someone who would fight to the death for us and, like... And just... And totally engaged. And that's the thing I remember about her most. It astonished me when I went and met other people's parents sometimes, how uninterested they were in young people, yeah. or how unengaged. My abiding memory of my mum and dad is in our little living room at Oldfield Street... Telly off, you know, when people came round. My mum fagging it. My um, dad made his own brew and shed at bottom at Yard. And so he goes, do you want your own brew in a, in a silver tankard? People are sitting drinking it or a cup of tea. Always biscuits. And them both leaning in, wide-eyed, listening to whoever was visiting, my friends, Dave's friends, their own friends, completely locked on to what they had Engaging. to say. Engaging. Yeah, yeah. So, and I, only later did I realise what a rare... A beautiful thing that is, you know, it's like and
0: that's really rare.
1: It really is. Yeah. It really is. And I so, so just wonderful. I
0: mean I really, I really feel already you're such a equal mixture of the personalities of yeah, your mum and dad. Yeah. I
1: think I am, you know, and it's like because my dad was, was almost too soft, you know, it it, it it was it was hard for him sometimes because he was such a, a, a gentle soul, mm. you know, and and my mum yeah, my mum and my grandma as well, because my grandma her husband left her when my mum was two, so my mum never knew her dad. Right. And you'll, like, know, said to her, did, did he ever, like, miss him, Mum? Did I? Yeah, I never knew him. Didn't, no, my mum never give him a thought. You know, Not completely, like, absolutely nothing, you know. <laughs> no sentimentality at all. Wow. And, uh, yeah, my grandma, like, you know, was a, a seamstress. She used to, like, she was a tailoress, actually, and she used to make, like, dresses for, like, rich ladies in Ribble Valley, and, and that's how she made her living and brought all these two girls by herself and... uh and was, like, really upright, and, like... And at the end of the life, she was blind and deaf, still living in a council flat by herself, up a full flight of stairs. She'd go into town, people would say to me, I well, saw so your mum downtown, and she'd be like, oh... <laughs> oh God. Like, with a white stick, she'd just cross her... She'd just put a white stick in front of her and cross that. road, Just, like, yeah, and everyone a screech. She couldn't hear him, she couldn't see him, fine. Just, like, just trust, you, know? you can't see, you can't yeah. hear, he's not there. No, me way around were knacky. I'm so fine, <laughs> they like, can like. see me. Yeah,
0: exactly, exactly. Just brilliant, yeah. Oh, what an interesting... Yeah. Bring a household yeah. that you well, come from
1: completely normal as well do you know what i mean it's like just just totally like i'm not saying yeah. it's abnormal i'm no. saying yeah. really normal but yeah. really
0: interesting yeah. and passionate i'm yeah. getting a lot of passion
1: yeah yeah they were they were they were into stuff but it was you know it were two ronnie's and you know and you can have
0: that but so many people don't have either no
1: no absolutely Absolutely, so lucky. I mean, I really, you know, always.
0: Did you feel you were lucky then, even when you were a kid?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think my brother had a slightly different experience because I think they were they were a bit harder on him as he was growing up mm. because it was the seventies and it was a different era and and I think my dad my dad had a, had a big breakdown when my brother was nine, which is a really big age. Yeah. to experience a parent going through that. Yeah, I can imagine. And he was the same age that his dad had been when he died. So, so I think that was all tied in with that. Yeah. Whereas for me, I was two, and I was really protected from it. So I never... And he'd, he'd brought all the rules, he'd done all the things, you know, he'd like, you know... I mean, it's hilarious now to think that... I mean, he got absolutely bollocks for having a copy of Nevermind the Bollocks, you know. I remember, I remember the row about it, my dad going mad about it, you know. And, like, by the time I was seven years later, his age... I was just left to me on devices. You probably had one and can not give
0: a shit, it's fine. I know. Different Complainly. times, though, innit? I was just rolling
1: around, pissed the whole time. Our, our, our neighbourhood hotspot was the Lardy Dars. it was, like what was a, the Lardy It was a nightclub in, in and <gasps> oh. Plastic palm trees and fountains on Thursday nights it were alternative nights so they played the Smiths and stars from Brookie had come and hang out in the cocktail bar I could get autographs. Met them all down during that time. Met them all. <laughs> and, uh, and it sort of overlooked like the slums of Aki. It was, like something sort of brave new world. It was amazing. Wow. And we'd all go, yeah. We'd all go on that and you'd try and get in when you were like 15, you know. Yeah, of course. That's the time yeah. to go. 14, Jackie 15. always gets a bit younger and we'd all like try and not, not go in with Jackie because Jackie never got in, you know. She's try neither. Like, yeah, yeah, she's,
0: yeah, in, yeah. she's in. Go on, she's right.
1: Yeah, and then coming home like two o'clock in the morning, just weeping because some lad I wanted to get off with. didn't want to get off with me? You know, and like getting into bed with my mum, like like some piss seventeen year old. I bet she that. And I'm like oh yeah, she's just brilliant, just so tolerant of me. You know, she said recently, oh yeah, seventeen, we're hard, we're hard because my daughter's seventeen now. Seventeen, we're hard. And I remember recently me um, my daughter. Um, you know, I was working away and my husband said uh, she was doing a GCSEs. Mm. and my husband rang up and said uh, might have started drinking uh, Red Bull like trying to get a bit of energy to sit and I was like oh I'm not having that and I, and, I, and I went a bit mad about it I was like no I don't like that I'm not having or having Red Bull it's really bad for you, full of caffeine and everything and then as I was saying it, I went I think I might take my foot off pedal with this because I was like his 24 hours a day when I were <laughs> it's like yeah me too it's like, yeah, I think she's alright she'll be she? fine Red ball might be alright it's like uh, when I were on Blue Balls and my dad's own brew and Concord from N Sharp you know oh, for... Thunderbirds <laughs> oh yeah Thunderbird the Thunderbird years bad, <sighs> Thunderbird years bad. were hard
0: really what you you going bad, red yeah. or blue oh, and, oh equally oh, terrible
1: terrible terrible. I used to get it off I uh, just rent corner from here actually I used to sell it dead cheap on a road just on Leicester Square Used to get it and just wander around like, saw drinking that. We
0: used to try and get a guy who was going in to the office who was obviously a, a, an adult. And go, yeah. Can, here, can you just get yeah. two bottles for us? Yeah. And they, you know, for everyone that turned you down, there was one. There was that, one who that, would that, do that, it. That yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I was still on it when I was down here as a student, you know I mean? Really, did I? And I would know Jeffrey Bernard, do you know what I mean? I was just horrible, horrible, pissed, chippy, at <laughs> Like, yeah! Just know like, where I'm like from. oh, God. <laughs> You drink if you had my child, a brilliant child. Yeah. You don't know. <laughs> you know what it is. full ground. <laughs> Pulls round like paid for school trips. Do you know what I mean? I was like, it was fine. I had a really nice life.
0: <laughs> what was the plan like when you were leaving school? Was it always in your head? do this all were there certain things that you thought oh we you lost Did you go i don't know what i'm going to do
1: No, really because I, I i went on and off acting during my life so when when i when i was at junior school i had like a really lovely teacher mrs Mulderick. you always have one don't you yeah and she used to do english speaking okay. board exams which were kind of like lambda exams kind of thing mm. and she was like oh you know yeah if you're lucky exactly and she was like oh i think you should do these so and you had to do like a poem and a presentation and I remember you had to talk about something that you, you liked and I did mine on Michael Caine. <laughs> I was just such a weird kid. Yeah. you? How because my were parents then? were a bit older. Well, I was like nine. But because my parents <laughs> were a bit older when they had me because there was a big gap between me and Dave, mm. I had a like, bit of a weird sensibility. Like I loved Doris Day and like old musicals and, and Michael Caine films. <laughs> and, I, and I really fancied Michael Caine when I was like nine, ten, eleven. It's weird, you know. In that sort of like big glasses
0: period. He's a really good looking man in his day. Yeah, he
1: were. And when that look came back in, the 90s, you know, like the Jarvis. Like, I was absolutely like in my element. I was yeah. like, Oh, this is great! It's like I'd, I couldn't quite understand why I had the hot spirits so badly it was because of that, you know. Yeah, and so she got me doing that, and I think that gave me a little bit of a, a taste of it because it that weren't something that people did because it was no. like, kind of like elocution, you know, obviously, work to treat, she can tell, and, uh, but it was about public speaking and confidence, and, and it was just something really new. and I, I really, think liked that's doing really, that's really
0: good for kids. Yeah, to oh, get up in point. front and. You know how some children, say they're eight or nine, can't hold a conversation no, with an adult? No. And ones that can, yeah. just think, I like that confidence. That's that's going to do you in good stead in years to come, well, I think. This is
1: the thing, isn't it, about art in education. Yeah. And, and the way that it's been whittled away at. Mm-hmm. It's like, I mean, you know I'm a like, massive leftist, so I know yeah. everything, everything that I'll say and do is <laughs> imbued with <laughs> that. But, but it's like, I feel like. <laughs> It's no coincidence that a school like Eton ploughs thousands of pounds into the arts, yep. you know, into the music and the theatre and, and really, really encourages and nurtures that mm-hmm. in its students. And that's not because they're trying to create a whole generation of Eddie Redmonds or whatever, you know. It's because they know the inherent with that comes a, a, a way of speaking and a way of being a confidence, a confidence uh, in confidence in yourself as a person and your ideas and and the way to articulate them and being in room. and passing that thing about passing mm. again you know being being easy company and you know craig you've worked with them, I mean those, those like those lads who've come through that education they're irresistible mm. they're, they're Charming, lovely people. You know, it's like you think, "Oh, I'm not going to like this person," and they're always absolutely lovely yeah. and engaged. And yeah. and it's because of that, you know. And to me, it's no coincidence that those top private schools are ploughing money into it at the same time as state school kids are being told that the arts are a, a luxury, them. yeah, yeah a, a, an add-on, something that's not for them. That's for that's kind of like a bit of a daft choice if you yeah. ever want to make money or make a life. Yeah. Forget that the cultural industries is the only growing industry in this country at the moment, do you know what I mean? It's the one that is actually burgeoning, you know? It's like, so it's kind of weird, that, that, but not so weird, because it feels to me a little bit like a conspiracy that you would say to working-class kids, and also to make the art subjects so theoretical. You know, so all those kids who went through who couldn't write an essay to save their lives but were brilliant at drama or playing guitar or whatever, Mm. they're suddenly, like, having to write essays about them failing the GCSE, music or drama or art, and so not able to go on and do it higher education. And we are going to end up with a culture that is entirely run by privately educated people, and the stories that they tell Uh, will be entirely from that world if we're not careful.
0: Well, if we're not careful, because that seems the way it's going. Yeah. Yeah. But I was one of them who, in my GCSEs, when it came to it for drama, yeah. and this is how obnoxious I was, I refused. I said, I'm not doing the essay about the, uh, for drama because that's not what acting's about. What are you talking I don't know, know anything. Brilliant, we knew that. Now, but, but I knew, I knew that. that that wasn't what it was about. Yeah. And I, I only scraped past with a C. Because my drama teacher fought for me yeah. with, the, like, with, the, with the examiner. Sort of, yeah, yeah, with the examiners. Going, we have to just cap this off and sort this out. Uh, my what dad, was
1: your drama teacher called?
0: It was called Mr. Wilmington.
1: I bet you've talked about him a few times. Well, you? I
0: haven't, because actually, the biggest inspiration was my deputy headmaster of the school, who I'm still in touch with to this day. Oh, and yes. he listens to this podcast. So he does see. It's does called say. Richard Catmore. And he was a massive inspiration <laughs> to me because he was the one that kind of. <clears throat> Told me that it, it could, you could do, you can do this. This, this yeah. is, this is possible. Yeah, it's not, can't, it's not just a hobby.
1: No, and that was at all level, wasn't was it? G, yeah, GC, well, yeah, yeah 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 yeah, what, yeah, 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 yeah,
0: yeah. And I really believed it, and I just went with tunnel vision.
1: He saw something in you, and you just I were like, so. yeah. 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 yeah, well
0: He must have done. Yeah. Well, he made me certainly believe. That I had something yeah. within me. Do you know what yeah. I mean?
1: And how many times have you heard that story? It's like it's like one person just going, "No, no, you can do this." But all it
0: takes is one person. Yeah, really. it is. But I worry that sometimes there'd be so many brilliant. Young artistic people out there, and whatever, and they don't have to do, or they don't have that person, or they don't find that person, no. or that person isn't available to no. them. That that, that one no. person that's anywhere that no. kind of worries me.
1: It really, really worries me. And you know, and these brilliant organisations like Open Door and Arts Emergency, oh, yeah. they were picking up the pieces mm. of that system, and Arts oh, Emergency. Their sort of like little sort of pithy saying that they have is that you can't be what you can't see. And it's like if Miles Davis, if nobody ever put a trumpet in Miles Davis's hand, he would, you know, you but know it's how, true. how many Miles Davis's are there? How many, how many, you know, Craig Parkinson's are there, you know, wandering around just like with this talent? And it's like, and, it, and they can't, you know, if, if you're a writer or if you're, um, a, a visual artist, mm. that's something you can do in your own bedroom and you can do it, you know, with very few materials, can't you? It's and also, like, that's
0: something that you have a, a, um, a sense of control over? Yes,
1: an agency. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Whereas if you're an actor, if you're a performer of any mm. kind or a musician, you have to have, you've got to have an opportunity to do it to someone, with someone, and you've got to have an instrument in your hand if you're a musician. And, and it's like, and it's giving kids those opportunities. You know, and I think we've gone through phases where we've really, really encouraged that. And we see... And, and, and in the same way as we do with sport, you know, so, like, 2012 Olympics, it was like, all that money had been ploughed into sport in schools mm. in, the, in the early 90s. You suddenly saw the results of that. Yeah. You know, it was suddenly all these working-class gold medalists, I know. you know? I know, and it's like, now, what in a few years, that's not going to be the case because it's been cut right back. And I really... And I do worry, you know, that like... The cultural industry is being this amazing place, and I think that you know the big cultural institutions are really, really on it about trying to get a diverse work- workforce. You know, in terms of like um, gender. Um, ethnicity yeah. and, and disability as well. And that's brilliant. And I think, you know, quarters are great and that's and that's starting to happen. Yeah, things and are going like, in the right
0: direction there, Definitely it, moving. we are we're we're
1: definitely it. seeing it. Definitely seeing it in the theatres as well. Mm. But class wise, because it's so difficult to quantify, it's that intersection between those things. So that, you know, so for you know, for a white working class woman like me, who's now obviously living... A, you know, I'd still absolutely identify as working class. Mm. Because otherwise, you know, as soon as you, like, start to, like, be successful, you, like, leave your class behind. was that ever going to provide any inspiration or anything yeah, to look course. up to? Bit. So I definitely always um, identify as working class, but I know that my lifestyle, you know, on the face of it, is, is now... Is, is middle, middle class. class. Yeah, in terms of I'm culturally engaged and I earn a good living mm. and, you know, all those things. But it's like... I have, will always have, much more privilege than, you know, a gay, black, working class woman from, you know, inner city of London. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, like it's where all those things intersect and yes. class is the thing that's just really, really difficult to get hold of because they're the forgotten people and they can be of any ethnicity and any gender yeah. and, like, be, you know, disabled or not. But but if you're from, like, a, a forgotten bit, from, like, schools that have just been left behind it's like how are they ever gonna how is anybody ever gonna come from that and make something of themselves and 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 be able to live a creative and artistic life it's
0: really worrying and where's their inspiration yeah and i've got to make it clear that we're really not posh bashing it at all because we're not i know, I know you know we're not no but there was a lot of talk of this and it was in on all the papers like two years ago yeah. and there was a big sort of hoo-ha and i thought all right well there's a conversation starting this is good yeah. And then nothing. Yeah, yeah. So I worry. Well, that- behind
1: the scenes, I think I think it's happening. You know, I think there's a lot of people. You know, because a lot of stuff happens, starts to happen at um, an academic level. Do yeah. you know what I mean? And that and that starts to feed into policy and stuff. You know, these things take a long time. No, no. You know, the way to quantify class. You know, and, and the ways we talk about it. You know, and, you know, and the way that class has suddenly entered or vernacular again you know because for a while it just wasn't you Mm. know because you know we have a lot of American culture here and and class isn't really a a thing thing for them no No. exactly you know I mean they've got very, very poor people, do yeah. you know, but, but they don't talk about class in the same way as no. here. You know, people say, oh, we're obsessed with class in this country. Well, if you're not, should, that's privilege. Do you know what I mean? It's like... Oh, yeah, we should be obsessed it, it, with exactly. it. I mean, it's not a bad exactly. thing at all. Because it's talking about, like, availability of uh, choice and opportunity, all those things. And it shouldn't be up to charities and organisations scraping around for funding to try and make them things happen for no. young people. But it is, you know, it always is. But it, is, but it is absolutely not about those because as I say, you know, those people are absolutely... They, they, they're not in charge of their upbringing and background any more than we are, no. you know? It's like, that's no. that's not the problem, you know? No. It's, but it's, uh, it's... not about choice. No, no. But it is a battle that's, that's still being fought, I think, and...
0: What would, is there anything what you would do? What would you do? I mean, look, this is a, that's a fucking big question that might not have an answer.
1: Yeah, well, no, well, I, I mean, for me... Funding of the arts is absolutely key, vital, yeah it really is you mm. know, and in schools and in state schools and from an early age you know and, and I think that I, I see because you know i 've got teenage kids myself, and I can see how that 's been eroded further education you know even in you know Labour's last office, you know, and education was pretty big for for new labor. Mm it was always about higher education and, and comprehensive education. It was never about further education, and and that got a little bit left behind in that period, you know, and now it's completely struggling, you know. There's a handful of really good FE colleges, but, but good FE lecturers are struggling to, to provide, you know... The courses, mm. Accrington and Rosendale College, absolutely brilliant college that I went to, and tons of us went through there. When I went to Lambda, there were five of us from Accrington College there at the same time. I mean, it's unbelievable, it's disproportionate, you know. Yeah. It's like, from out like a tiny town in North West, mm. five of us, three in my ear. Well, there was you know? loads
0: of us from Blackpool Fire College. Yeah, of course there were, yeah. Yeah, yeah Blackpool's John, a big... David from, Thewlis, you got John Sim yeah. and all that, yeah, so... Yeah,
1: absolutely, yeah. And same time, it was yeah. kind of those two, you know, and it's like... And that's... Uh, and now Accrington College Drama Department's shut. It has no art department. The catering College was always massive. I've just found out that that's shutting. Mm. Huge media department that my brother taught at. That's, you know, It's going, apparently. Gone. So all these things, you know, so <sighs> it's like, wow, that's really frightening and shocking. And yeah. it's happened before you can even do anything about it, yeah. you know. And it's so, so funding. And I think that... I, I, I was thinking about this this morning, actually, and I was thinking, we saw. So, We're so trained to accept our lot as as a society. Do you know what I mean? We're so kind of like, we feel like, well, it's just the way things are. You know, there's just not enough money. So some things have to go. And if it's between, (laughs) like, feeding people and arts, then of course, you know. And it's like, actually, that's absolute bollocks, you know. We're the fifth biggest economy in the world. Yeah. That there are children living in abject poverty in this country. There are people, there are children without shoes in 2019, you know, that there are children, like, just absolutely falling outside the system completely. They're just being left behind because, because... Nobody can look after them because everything's being caught. You know, the police is being caught, the NHS is being caught, mental health services being caught, school's being caught, arts are being caught. There's just nothing, you know, and there is enough money. So for me, it's about, like, it's just redistribution, you know. It's that like, there is the money, we just need a new system. And it shouldn't be accepted. No, it shouldn't. shouldn't be. It shouldn't. Oh, well,
0: that's just our yeah. like. It shouldn't yeah. be yeah. that.
1: Yeah, and you hear it all the time, you're like, no, 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 no. No, this doesn't have to be like this. We don't have to live... In this way you know, and we 're being told that we have to by people who 's interested in to to continue this system you know because they 're benefiting from it you know there 's a huge amount of like incredibly wealthy people in this country and a, a massive amount of people living under poverty on yeah. and it's, it's just it 's just redistribution so it's, for me it 's basic socialism you know and, I, and you know I feel like that's that 's actually a possibility at the moment you know for the first time in my life that 's like that 's a that is something that could happen, you know, and so I feel, you um, know, amidst all the despair that everyone talks about all the time, I feel like, you know, actually, we're at a point in the world where anything can happen, yeah. you know. Sometimes these really terrible times precede times of great hope and change, you know.
0: Of course. Are you quite a big believer in that? And I mean this in a general sense, that anything can happen. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's I feel. Very, I full think that's of quite
0: hope. a positive mindset. Humor. Well, I think
1: that I think that it's in it's in the interests of the powers that be to make us feel like there is no hope. Mm. Do you know? And and it's a, it, I'm I'm a big big fan of this writer Rebecca Solnit, and she writes a lot about climate change and stuff and about sort of political political activism, and she says it's so much easier to be a beautiful loser. Do you know what I mean? To just be like, well, we tried, but nothing happened. Nothing ever changes. You know, it's like if you have hope. Then you you don't let you off the hook because there is always something to fight for. Do you know what I mean? And at the moment, the establishment is properly winning because good people with lots of energy and passion and belief are going. Oh, it's just terrible! It's just terrible. The world's going to hell in a handcart. What about all these amazing <laughs> young people who are taken to the streets who are like bringing London to a standstill to save the planet? Yeah, you know, yeah. it's like there are so many exciting grassroots go- m- movements going on, and sometimes the what happens, what comes from them, you won't see the results of that for years. You know, it's like I read a beautiful story about like. A tiny little demonstration outside an embassy, and it was like five women, and I can't remember where it where, unfortunately, but but it was like five women, and they kept this demonstration going for years, and then it and then it ended, and they were just like nothing, nothing's ever come of that, do you know, and it was just like five years of our life, we just stood outside that embassy, you know, the five of us, and you know, people laugh at them, and you know, whatever, and but somebody who became incredibly powerful and became a real activist that really changed things in a massive way, drove past this group of women every day and was like, fucking hell, the women are amazing. They're absolutely dogged in the determination to change things. And he always cites them as his inspiration for going on to do amazing things. Really? And that's what happens, do you know what I mean? You don't know the impacts, it's ripples all the time, you know, and it's like... You know, all these young people who are doing these incredible things now, you know, it might be too late to, like, stop, to reverse climate change, but, but the movements that it's going to start and the way that people are saying, oh, actually, it's completely possible to, yeah. like, do peaceful effective mass process. yeah of course and you can see the way establishment talk about them oh middle class snowflakes blah, 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 blah. anything to put them down mm. you know and it's just like well we, we don't care about what you say about us this is our mission and it's like and that fills me with massive hope you know and 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 you know sometimes you've got to at the bottom of the pool to come back up you know
0: absolutely if
1: trump hadn't got in you know, would Me Too have happened? You know, it it, it starts these moves and people be like, hang on a minute, the shit's hit the fan now. We need to organise, we need to get together and make our voices heard collectively. And it starts to happen and Me Too has changed the world. Yeah. It's absolutely changed the world. I mean, you can see it. I mean, you've probably seen it on film sets and on TV sets. The way that women are spoken to and behave towards now and it's happened, you know, very gently and organically but it's just like new set of rules
0: you know a pal of mine was doing a a big american film uh started not so long ago and before anything happened everybody was there all cast all crew and there was a big talk a big discussion
1: about the way to about
0: the way yeah just simple yeah because we're all going to do our job and we're all on level playing field here from the caterers everybody yeah right this is the way to behave. And this is how we're going to yeah. have a nice, smooth yeah. shoot. Yeah. And it's brilliant. we'll have no upsets.
1: Yeah. And it, and it won't be tolerated.
0: And it will not no. be tolerated. No and just bef- matter how
1: powerful you are, don't matter who you, you or are. Or you think
0: powerful. you are. Yeah. Just yeah. before you think about anything, yeah. think about this. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It's not that hard.
1: And it empowers us all. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's absolutely. Like, you know, it's like a mate of ours. <laughs> and you'll know who it is when I thought this- <laughs> 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 it was. was on a TV set and she said, like, two security guides... Uh, we're standing having a fag outside, and she walked past. And, uh, and one of them went, not bad. And and this person is quite a feisty woman anyway. Mm. She's, she's brilliant and a constant inspiration to me. But I think because of everything that happened, it empowered she turned around. She was like, what the fuck do you say? And it it's like, brilliant, because I had this conversation with your daughter, and we both agreed that if we did it, they'd be like, talking about the weather. <laughs> <laughs> well <laughs> this person I was never going to answer and he went red and he was like he said and she said just, just imagine what it feels like for me as a woman to walk past you and to know that you're assessing me physically and then to say it with an earshot of me just have to think about that and what that feels like I was like sorry <gasps> brilliant
0: fucking absolutely. Brilliant. brilliant how brilliant yeah. is that
1: so and, and so you know it gives it's not just like the way it's asking people to behave it's also giving us the power to be able to call it out ask to call it out yeah yeah,
0: you and don't the same have a voice. With diversity.
1: Same with diversity. Yeah. I mean, it was only like a couple of years ago that people were like, "Yeah, we'd love to like cast more black actors, but you know, we just can't find any good at black actors." No, it's just or like the, the roles are the, the, there, but they are there. We just can't do it. And suddenly you're just like, "Oh yeah, they all are. <laughs> Brilliant." You know, <laughs> "Oh <laughs> yeah, you just have to look a little bit harder, did you? Yeah. You know, and you managed it."
0: It's like, <gasps> "Where have they been hiding?" Yeah.
1: And if you see a play now or a film that doesn't have like a, a, a non-white face in it. It's shocking to me. Mm. I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? Where, where are the people of colour in this film? Where are you like, where, where's your diversity? It's like, I, it, I know now that it's not representing the world that I live in and it appalls me. And it's like, you know, it's just in your psyche in a way that the first job I did after leaving Corrie um, was a theatre piece at the Exchange and we were all white in it. Mm. Didn't, even, didn't even cross my mind. You know, it, that was completely normal. That was five years ago. It's you know, only five years. Yeah, yeah. And now, if I went to see a play at the exchange and, and there were no black or, or any actors of colour in it, I'd be absolutely... Well, it would never happen. But
0: it wouldn't happen. It would and never also, happen. it'd be really odd because it doesn't... It'd know, just be weird. But well, it doesn't represent no. the, our, our world and it'd, our life.
1: In any way. And you'd just be like, why are, you, why are you giving me this why are you giving me this story that doesn't have anything to say about the world? I don't yeah. understand. Why are you not representing... I don't, completely. And that has happened because of people setting quarters and saying, we're, we're not going to do it, we're going to have 50-50, you know. And, and the exchange has been amazing, you know. Their quarters, like, I think the figures were 52% women on stage over the whole year, last year. 52% women yeah. could do it.
0: Well, I've noticed their programme it's really impressive yeah, and now impressive. it's even more exciting now it's very like, exciting from because everyone was worried
1: because mm. Sarah's done such a brilliant job mm. there it's like who's going to take over from Sarah and yeah. it's like just
0: fantastic yeah. so
1: yeah you know they're going to carry on the good work you absolutely know, it's like, yeah yeah it's great
0: now you know we don't really discuss jobs with actors because I do find it a bit I don't know it's a bit do you awesome. know what I mean yeah. because yeah. it seems like we're part of the job and yeah. we're just having a conversation but I do want to talk about the safety in leaving such an establishment like yeah. Coronation Street yeah. for you to go right? And because how, you, how many years were you there? 16. <laughs>
1: I, didn't know, I didn't know it was that long. I know. <laughs> I know. I know. I know it's bonkers, isn't
0: it? Did 16. It, so for doing... I don't think I've ever met anybody that's Who's done been it, the same so part. No. You've been in the same role yeah. for 16 years.
1: Yeah. And then left. Yeah, because, I mean, obviously... Lots of people in Corrie have been there for that long. I don't think anyone... I don't know.
0: Did it ever become a job?
1: Oh, completely. Oh, completely, completely became a job.
0: How did... I mean, I loved it.
1: mm, And I was really, really really happy You don't
0: strike me as the type of person that would settle to do something if it became a job. Oh... Well But obviously I, I, I don't know yet. Yeah.
1: Completely did. I I did, didn't didn't even think of myself as an actor. I, I genuinely didn't think about it. I'd go and see it; it was lovely. I mean it was the happiest years of my life, do you know? It's like <laughs> I'd go and watch it I'd go and watch a play. Yeah. And I'd literally be like, how oh, have they done that? How have they, how have they I, I lost any sense of what it was like to go to like a read through at the beginning of a job and like stumble through it mm. and then to do what you ended up seeing on stage. I had no ambition. I I was completely like... I loved the freedom it gave me to be with anyone. Because you know what it's like, Greg. It's like, I I bet you don't love this as much as I do, but, like, sometimes when I'm talking to people, I I feel like I've got an agenda. I feel like if they're they're in a position where they could give me a job, I'm always really self-conscious that they think I'm talking to them because they could give me a job, do you know what I mean? I always feel... No, I know, I think loads of people feel yeah, like that. I just it's always just, feel really awkward and yeah, just like... I don't want to feel like yeah, dirty. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I'm just like, oh, no, I'd talk to anyone like that. Yeah. I really would, but it suddenly makes me feel a bit like, ooh, dirty. And when I was in that... I was like, well, <laughs> nothing you can give me. <laughs> I'm, in, I'm in Corinth. I will be for the rest of my life. So, you know, I could talk, I could talk to anybody and feel like... It's the same when I, like, got together with my husband. I was suddenly like, oh, I can talk to anyone now and not be thinking, oh, I think they think I fancy him. <laughs> 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 oh, they think I'm trying to get off with him? But that's when, oh, we, step like... out, that's when we step out of ourselves and
0: look back yeah, at the reflection. Yeah. And, and that's, you know... But I think everybody does that.
1: Does it? Do they? I it's think, like a thing. I, it's I like, think if, yeah.
0: if we're honest, we do. Yeah, yeah. Because just something we all kind of care about what people yeah, think about us, yeah, don't and, we? Yeah,
1: and the thought that someone would think that you would be nice or friendly because you were trying to get something out of it. Yeah, Ooh, and I think you'd be or, pretty arrogant if you pope. didn't
0: think that at some point. Oh, well, that's
1: good to know. It's good to know, mum, because I just like it was really wonderful to be free of that for, for 16 years. And, and I didn't go into it intending to be in it forever. I did intend to be in it more than three months, which is what I was initially. So I was like, "Oh no,
0: I've, I've got bigger plans for this character than that." And um, three months turned into sixteen years. Yeah, really.
1: yeah. And then I thought, like, "Oh, maybe a few years," and then and then I lost all ambition. It was just like, "This is absolutely brilliant. I love it. I met my husband on it. I had my kids doing it." It's such a lovely place to work. Anyone will tell you that. Really ace people, the cast and crew. And, mm. and it's like, and the workload's hard. But I was never really like, I was never like a Steve McDonald or a, a Liam, you know, who were just constantly, constantly story. Yeah. I was like in and out a bit. You know, I'd have like long periods where I weren't doing very much and that that suited family life. Yeah, of course. Living in Manchester. So I was dead happy. And, and people would come in on the first day, and I'd be like, "Oh, you know, I'm Julie. I'll be, they'll carry me out of here in a box. I'll be here on the 70th anniversary live episode, whatever." And then, and then, what happened was, I did a, I did a play, <laughs> 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 and I would never have even done that. I mean, I was, I, I had no. Interest in doing anything else. Like if I take time off, took a couple of months off and went travelling. I, mean, I remortgaged the house and went travelling with our little girl when she was three and wow. travelled the world and stuff. And that, I thought, that's what I'd do if I ever take any time off. It'd be to be with my family, not to be in a play. I'm yeah. not bothered. And um, and then um, saw. So, Near where I grew up, um, Sophie Lancaster, a young girl who's identified as a goth, was murdered really yeah. brutally with her yeah, boyfriend in a part. It's a horrible, yes, horrible, horrible thing that happened in um, in the, oh, I can't remember the year, it wasn't 2007, I think maybe. And, uh, and she, and Simon Armitage, the poet, wrote this beautiful, beautiful radio piece where he wrote like a cycle of poems that were as if spoken by Sophie, performed by Rachel Austin, an actor. And it was interspersed by interviews with Sylvia, her mum, who'd set up a foundation in Sophie's Memory to help combat uh, hate crime against alternative subcultures. Yeah. And to keep Sophie's Memory alive and to do educational stuff in schools, because there's huge amounts of hate crimes against punks and goths and stuff, more than you'd ever imagine. It's just... Unreal, you know the people, the the things that people decide to take against, you know, out yeah. right, of fear or
0: well, there'll always be those yeah, people. Won't there? Won't there? It's
1: just awful. There but, always have been. Well, the will figures be. are really shocking, you know, because you're just yeah. like, wow, you're attacking someone because like you have got like dreads or like a yeah, yeah, and It's yeah. like wow, but you know, dis- disabled people get attacked physically in the street all the time, so nothing should surprise us, should mm-hmm. it? You know. Um So she set up this charity, and so she she told the story of Sophie's life. She was interviewed from birth to death, really, including, you know, her being in hospital in critical condition to the moment that they took her off the machines and she died. So these poems, that beautiful poems, were, were interspersed, and it was a Radio 4 drama in the afternoon. And it was, it was one of those classic Radio 4 dramas where, you know, truck drivers were pulling over and stuff. It was really, really harrowing, yeah. beautiful, and... And uh, they decided to make a theatre piece out of it. And I knew Sylvia a little bit. I'd got a little bit involved in the campaign, just from bumping into a campaigns manager at things and been given a Sophie wristband and stuff. And I'd got to know Sylvia, and me and my husband had set up a bit of a writing competition in Sophie's memory and, like... And so she, she asked me to play her in it, which was, like, the biggest honour possible. Yeah. And so I was saying her words verbatim, basically, that she'd said in the radio programme. Right. And, uh... So that's something I couldn't turn down, and uh and I was terrified of it. And and Simon didn't really know about verbatim theatre, and he was quite sort of like, I don't know, he was quite sceptical about how it would work. And and uh, but we ended up doing it at the Royal Exchange in the studio. Did you um, feel and, that because
0: you, you had a? You were, did you feel you had a responsibility? Massive responsibility. Yeah.
1: Massive responsibility, and it was like, and it and it's a, you know, it's. Quite something, the words that she says in that. You know, we made a film of it subsequently as well, and uh, called Black Roses. And, uh, and it was an amazing thing to be part of. And it took me a lot. I, I couldn't remember how to be in a rehearsal room. So, like, because you don't really get much direction. The directors are great, but they're very much there to sort of keep house style and now and again they might give you a note, but it's quite unusual. Well,
0: I'm sure it's like the time restraints and the page count that it's you've got so to do is crazy. And it's so You know, with no disrespect at all. It's, it's, it's a fucking it's a machine. machine.
1: Completely. It's a more and more sort, you know. I mean, you, just, you literally go in, you do, you block it, you do a line run, you block it, you do a camera rehearsal and you shoot it. And if you do it more than twice, you've really fucked it up. And it's like... And this is what people don't realise about sort bad. It's the best training you can possibly yeah, get. Yeah, yeah. Hell, you never get any like music to like ramp up the emotion. <laughs> you never get any nice lighting or anything. It's just like absolutely raw. What you see is what you get, you know. Yeah. It's like properly sorts out, you know, <laughs> the big guns from the little ones. And yeah. and it's a style as well that's that's quite hard to get right. Oh, I can imagine. People come in and think, Oh, I'll play against the style and I'll I'll, I'll do a really like low-key. And they're the ones
0: that ping out.
1: Again, yeah, you're just like, Oh, that, th- that just dis- disappears on screen and then there's people who do like, I want to do my core acting and that's too much, and takes a bit of settling in. And mm. So, so you know, it is quite, it's quite it's full on, but the director's like, leave it to your own devices, and you learn very early on, just get on with it, and make make choices, and, yeah. be, and be bold, you know, because nobody... So being directed again, I, I really thought I was... It oh, up, you know. My, my my entire makeup was like if a director approaches you and goes, like, you're like, Oh, sorry. Oh, so I was constantly like, sorry, 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 and they're like, No, no, it's fine. And I remember apologizing to the assistant director, going, like, I'm really sorry. And he was like, What, what about? And I said, supposed to be really boring for you. <laughs> and he went, What do you mean? <laughs> I said, Oh, I keep doing the same bit over and over again, like rehearsing. <laughs> 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 and he
0: was
1: like, do you think that's that's what we do we theatre people that's what we do with have and I was like oh oh yeah yeah because I've done plays before but i just completely just gone.
0: completely it's gone it's almost like you had to retrain your, your mind totally
1: totally I just was like I was like oh god you're like, you're, you're like tensing up as like director came to give me an note because I was just like oh oh I what, what, it. what? Yeah. yeah yeah I still have a little bit in me now and, and, the, and the pace of doing telly now I'm just like, oh, oh, God, this is taking so long. It's really, it's quite odd for me how long things take in Sally, you know, after just being like, bish, bosh, three yeah. cameras, bang, yeah. out. you know. Even, like, the massive storylines and stuff, you know, just, like, death scene, you know, like everyone's talks about it in Courage, like, one, once, we only did it once. I mean, we didn't even rehearse it because it was too upsetting for everybody and God. we are just like, let's just do it, just do it. And, yeah. like, luckily, you know, everything was in the right place and we didn't have to go again. So yeah, so so I did that, and as I was doing that play, you know, always when you're talking about acting, you've got to be really careful because you can you always sound like a wanker, don't you? But but I, that's why I, I don't talk about jobs. I know, I, was I know, doing. I know. <laughs> it's, in like, it's really horrible, isn't you know? <laughs> it? You're just like oh, but I, but I was a bit like oh. Oh, I hope. oh god I can feel something you know the way I always put it <laughs> I've said this a bit a few too many times and when it's in print it really does sound wanky sounds better when you hear me see it with my eyes. <laughs> but it's like it's like something that I actually thought was dead I was yeah. actually just asleep yeah. and it was like waking up and I was like no no I don't want it I don't want ambition and, yeah. and, um, to be I don't want it I
0: don't want that inspiration back in my life no I you. don't want it no. I don't
1: want it I don't want to feel like that perfectly this is what I where yeah. I am yeah 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 yeah, telling that story, yeah. you know, that like, one person's story. Mm. I'm really happy with that. And it's like, and, you know, I can fool myself that I'm still changing the world with Hayley, you know, even though the trans storyline we're like, 16 years previous, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, change the world with that, change and, um, and, yeah, and doing it was, it was an amazing experience and really, really um, grounding as well, because what happened was is constantly people would be like oh, God, that must must have been really hardcore doing that every Mm. night, like playing Sylvia and saying those words and, like, you know, talking about holding your dying child in your arms and all that. And what I realised very, very quickly is that every night when we came off stage, me and Rachel, um, Sylvia, the real Sylvia was in the bar, selling wristbands and merchandise and, like, talking to people about the foundation, about the work they were doing, and getting on with life and making something really good happen out of, like, possibly the worst situation that anybody could ever imagine. And I was always like, how much of a wanker would I be... To like come off stage after playing Sylvia and just be like oh, I'm absolutely drained. <laughs>
0: that's
1: really taking it out of oh, me. So that's cost one, me tonight. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And and, and I see. And when I see that in actors, and you know, each to their own. You know, some people might after it. Do, I don't know. But when I see actors in curtain calls who were who were playing the part of no, someone who who've given themselves, yeah. I'm just like, oh fuck off! Come on, come on! Yeah. Don't, don't don't do even that. Doing that. It just makes me want to like You've not. Ruined clapping. It. Yeah, You've ruined everything. When I saw angels in America, they were all like, I thought, oh God, Andrew Garfield probably put himself through something over nine hours there. <laughs> and he was smiling gracious, and gracious in the curtain corner. I was like, yes, thank you. You know, that's like what I want to say. Yeah. So I've sort of carried that on. Do you know, so whatever parts, I'm, and, and you know, whatever jobs I do, they like putting me through the mill. Do you know what I mean? They like to to see me crying and upset about stuff. So um, once you've done it, you know, they're like, oh, yeah, we'll get rid of that. And and, and people ask that question all the time, you know, was it hard for you playing, like, a rape survivor? Was it hard for you playing someone with cancer? And I'm just like, there's people really going through it. So I feel a responsibility... I really feel that, and I feel the weight of that massively because, you know, you, you're telling their story and making it public and you don't want to, like, take that lightly or fuck that up. It means a lot to people, mm. but at the same time, you can't talk about how hard it was to do it. I tell when... you
0: what, it's much harder for them. <laughs> exactly, I mean...
1: exactly. So it was a real, proper good lesson, that, mm. and and really great. And that was the thing that made me go. And so I sat on it for a few months. I, I was like, I, I thought, I'm not going to really act quickly on this. And I read The artist Way that I'm sure people have talked about on your podcast before. Like, only one person. <laughs> only one funny. person. Yeah, yeah. There's more of us than that. <laughs> I'm really, really, like, I'm always really embarrassed to talk about it because, like... For listeners who don't know about it, it's like a really hokey American book, like written in the eighties and it's like pre internet, you know. Yeah, like, yeah. And it's like and it's very it's it's a twelve step programme basically. basically. It, 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 it borrows yeah. that. Yeah. And uh, and it's for, for block creatives. And I did it when I started Cory. I did it then and uh, and it, it really, really affected me massively and it's like and it's like literally gives you a little task to do so you have to go on like an artist date every week so you have to do something on your own like go on to a gallery or do something yeah. do something for yourself to feed your creativity. It's like yeah. filling you well she says so in dry periods you've got something to draw on. You know and it's yeah. like and it and, and creativity feeds creativity is the basic premise of it. So I'm saving you from reading it. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and you have to write like three pages like long and every morning yeah. of like just, just without thinking and it and, and it's really massive it's a massively helpful too so, so when I was doing Black Roses I was like right I'm going to do it again and I did and I did the whole 12 week thing again and, and, it, and it properly you know and the answers came through it in these like morning scrollings after the time you're just like why the hell am I doing this you know I can't be arsed it, it came really clear that I should be I should move on and do something else. And it gave me any, and it gave me the last bit of bollocks I needed to do that. And the support. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And to, to you just go, yeah, yeah, I need to I need to lead a, a properly creative life again, which isn't to say that it isn't creative, on Cory, but it is a job, like you say, yeah. and it is well, one. Or it
0: certainly turns into one after 16
1: years. Yeah, and also, you know, the storylines that make the big splashes are only every few years. Mm. You know, it's not like you're living in this constant sort of like, you know, state mm. of, you know, my storyline at the beginning... It was the first trans character in a soap and, and it did make a big impact and yeah. it did change things and we got mentioned in Parliament and, you know, it, it, it definitely helps having a character that people associated with and, and uh, liked and a relationship that they got behind, being yeah. at the centre of that conversation back mm. then. And, and actually I ended up leaving just as that would have been a real anachronism for me to be still in it because when well, I was to conversation... Well, I was going
0: to touch on that. Imagine... If we moved, you know, 16 years now to the future, you would never have played it, would you?
1: And there was a conversation about it then. You know, trans people were cross that I were doing it then. Oh, were they even then? Oh, yeah, yeah. There was was an organisation that I became patron of, um, Press for Change, who, who, you know, made a very, very public pronouncement that that it should have been a trans actress playing that part. But I I felt really... I was only 27, And I was like, and it was the first big job I'd done. I'd done bits of telly, but mainly I'd done fringe theatre since I'd left Lambda, you know, I I weren't, you know. But I had a real, very, very strong sense that it would have been unbearable pressure for a trans actor to play that part at that time. I thought the way that the press spoke about trans people then and the way that our culture treated them, Mm. fortunately we're going a bit back to that at the moment, it feels feels to me, it's like... it was really, it would have been really, really tough. And um, and I, so I just made it really clear that I would take it really seriously and that I weren't in it for a laugh. No. Because the character was supposed to be a bit of a joke in first instance and that, you know, I would, I would represent them as best I could and that, uh, you know, I, I was an ally. You know, and they and they believe me, and, and in the interviews Good. I did, that sort of bore out. And and the beautiful story about that is that somebody started helping me with research. Someone who wrote to the Radio Times, this shy computer programmer from Aberdeen, wrote to Radio Times and said, "I know there's been all this fuss about Ellie, but I really, really, I, I'm trans, and I live a secret life, and I really, really." Uh, I completely see myself in this character and it's really helped me. So Corrie got hold of her and asked her to do a bit of unofficial research. We became friends. She eventually moved to Manchester. She auditioned for drama school, went through three years at Manchester Met without anyone knowing she was trans. No. Got her training, then scrambled around in the wilderness trying to get work for years, like quite unhappy living in Manchester. Yeah. And then on her 50th birthday, just as I was leaving Corrie, and literally just after I'd left Corrie, she told all her friends on her 50th birthday that she was trans, and they were just like, and then she told her agent, her yeah. acting agent, she got the next week an audition uh, to play the head teacher in Hollyoaks, and she's now like the first transgender person to play a transgender role in a soap. And no
0: way. And now
1: she's at the SOAP Awards, like and at Pride, like just like ah. leading it all. And I'm just like, there you go. It's beautiful. That is like, beautiful it's and it's just gorgeous. Fantastic. Oh, it's just wonderful. And as soon as she came out, her life just changed, you know, and it yeah. just for the better and and she's like a huge sports person for all those issues. And and it was just the right time for me just to step away from it and just go that, that's done now. Yeah. It's like, it would have been anachronism. It's like, so it was just perfect, perfect timing. And, I, and, I, and it was scary, but I didn't have any expectations. No. I was like, I'll just, I'll just see what happens. I'll just see what happens and...
0: What else can you do?
1: Yeah, and just hope for the best and, and get bits and bobs and whatever. And and the first good choice I made was not to do Panto, but to do a Simon Stevens play at The Exchange which I was really lucky to get. No disrespect
0: to Panto, but there no, shouldn't, even, no. shouldn't even be a choice there. No, there? no, Stevens no. Simon Stevens plays on the table. And, exactly. Yeah. And, you
1: know, and, and, and again, I don't want anyone to think I'm, I'm being snobby no, about it. I am ready to i up to it, yeah. do you know what I mean? It's like, it's a good laugh, yeah. you earn know, a bit of money that can, like, see you through some, like, more interesting work later in the year, whatever. And fucking hard work. And really hard work. But it is the path that people expect you to take. Yes, of course. So by subverting that slightly... That really helped, you yeah. know. So people were like, "Oh, she's doing a Simon Stevens play," and it was so that was kind of that helps. And then I got Russell C. Davis's series. I yeah. was really, really lucky to get that. Did a cucumber, and that so That so that took me on a bit of a Channel Four kind of. Yeah. So I got a, I got a reputation for doing more interesting stuff. Mm. And I did Black Roses again, and then we did a film of that, and then things started to follow after that. And so so I, I would dead dead lucky because i could have been completely because after 16 years i mean and, and it still is and it'll be i've always said it'll be me a bitry picture you know it'll be me and me red anorite you know your yeah. pineapple juice in the office. there's no way anything i'll do will <laughs> ever take over from that you know i have about to get used to that you know it's like you go through a little period of sort of like being a bit like come on it's been it's been two years now i've done all these jobs you know and there's it's not like, referencing that yeah yeah, yeah. But, it, but now i just like yeah i have to accept it in fact I'm doing the air word at the moment, and one of the makeup girls is called Haley, and one of the other makeup girls called it the day and I went, yeah, <laughs> so, <laughs> so used to it. She was like, she was, like, well, I wasn't talking to you. I can't believe you think that I was it. I was like, I'm, I'm that used to it. It's like completely like it's my, it's my other name, you know. I'm thrilled if anyone thinks to call me Julie. <laughs> no, it's, oh, it's, it's it's a funny life, you know. It's like, and it's like, I always think. There's not many people who, who have this who, who will always be that character and whereas you're really proud of it and mm. it'll, it'll probably always be the thing I'm proudest of. It's like, it is a weird thing, you know. And then sometimes I think about Cast of Friends and I think, God, me times 10 zillion what yeah. they have because it's still being
0: shown. Everywhere, everywhere, around the world. There's
1: no way you can go where you wouldn't be. You know, it's a weird thing, isn't it? Yeah. When, you, when you're associated with something like that forever.
0: It's great that you jumped off. Because look, look at everything else, what's yeah, happening.
1: Yeah, but I still get, I mean, you know, totally still get asked every day by someone if I'm still doing my acting. Yeah, it's like, of course. And it does kill
0: me. Because you know, I'm not without ego. it's does... just like, different audiences, isn't it? Yeah,
1: yeah, completely. Yeah, yeah. so at uh, my uh, local Tesco, you know, it's yeah. like, you're still doing your acting. Someone said to me, they, do you do theatre mainly now? Have you given up on telly? And I'm like, no, I am <laughs> <doing laughs> something at the moment, yeah. actually. <laughs> <laughs> it's really, I forget, really defensive. <laughs> I've got to find a way not to be an arsehole about it because I still am a bit like, here's my CV. I just like sometimes I rattle off things. I'm like, stop being a twat. (laughs) It doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. (laughs) This is just your pride.
0: (laughs) Julie, I can't thank you enough. For coming on, oh thank I'm you! I'm so having thrilled that we actually got. We, we fa- I know, amazing. We, got, we made it work, and it wasn't just like a quick five minutes outside a pub in Edinburgh. No,
1: no, it's like we've been talking about it since then. Yeah, we? exactly. Well, like, I know we've been trying, not, but it's always
0: the way with not, it's this. It's brilliant for everybody says It's always about making dates work with us. But you know, well, it
1: is. It is, and what's brilliant is that my niece. Since I last saw you, my niece got ovarian cancer survived it, it's been horrific, just as she uh, graduated from Lambda, because yeah. she's like, we're one of them posh families now, that go got to the same drama school, <laughs> we're a Lambda family, oh, no. <laughs> and, she, uh, and she's now taking a one-woman show about her experience, to Edinburgh this year with it, and it's like, I just feel, again, it's like, come full circle, do you know yeah. what I mean? I'm going to be an audience watching her one-woman show this year, like last year, she was just like a Lambda graduate wondering what was happening next and she's written this beautiful short about survival and love and loss and Louis Theroux and uh, yeah. it's called Madame and and... And, and it's like, you know, it's, it's brilliant, isn't it? This, this world we're in and the connections
0: between everyone.
1: It's well, just
0: she's, she's just beautiful. Making her own choice there. Yeah, yeah. She's, yeah. she's got down, she's yeah, creating something yeah. for herself. And it's made her right, and she's
1: yeah. a brilliant writer. Well,
0: there we go. She's opened the door now, hasn't exactly.
1: she? Exactly. That agency that you get, let's say, oh, I've only. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I can't thank you enough. Thank did you enjoy you, it?
1: I really enjoyed it. Thank oh, you. I really Thanks. did. It's been lovely. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, but it didn't go on too much, did I? It's like, no, it's like, it brilliant. I always feel like, oh, I don't know. It's like, so have I you done recording? one? Does anyone ever interview you?
0: No, I've never done one.
1: Well, like, why don't I do you sometimes?
0: No, there's not. I've only let one person say that they'd interview me. Who's that? Can't tell you. I'll tell you off a mic. Okay. <laughs> And another episode is done. What did I tell you? Isn't she brilliant? She's just fantastic. So a massive thank you to Julie for giving up her time. And uh, while we're talking about people giving time up, if you're in... I hope you're all right. Just a man on a mobility scooter, just going past with a lovely bunch of flowers. If you're in Edinburgh uh, in August, so what Julie spoke about at the end... um, Rosa hesman she has got a show there. It's called Madam Overy. And it's on, I think, at 10 past 12 every day at the Pleasance Dome. So make sure you go and check that out. And also, while we're speaking of things to check out, past Two Shot Podcast guest, the fantastic Amy Booth-Steele has her show there um, called Honest Amy. It's directed by the wonderful Kathy Burke, and stars Amy, and it's just her and her ukulele telling her stories, singing her songs. She's at the pleasants for the whole of Edinburgh, so do go and check her out, and when you see her, tell I <clears throat> swallowed the a fly them. I really did. It's by the canal. When you see, <laughs> Griff's laughing, when you see uh, Amy, give her a big hug from myself and Griff. Um... Look, you know, we're on all the social media platforms. Do send us a message. If you're on the uh, the charts, the Apple thing... What's it called, Griff? The Apple doodah? Okay. Apple Podcasts. Give us a five-star review if you like it. If you don't, don't bother. Um, that's no good to man the beast. But a massive thank you to you for subscribing and downloading. And um, you know we're on Patreon. We don't have any sponsors. We do this by ourselves your help is much much appreciated so go to patreon.com slash the two shot podcast and uh, check it out and see what you can do to help if you can't help then no bother it's still going to be free and we'll still keep doing this um I think that's it is that it that's it look go and have a wonderful day carry on doing what you're doing and uh yeah shall we see you next week it's episode 90 The countdown has begun to episode 100. So, until next week, take care of yourself. I've been Craig Parkinson, he's been producer Griff, and this has been the Two Shot Podcast by a canal. Take it easy. The Two Shot Podcast is presented by me, Craig Parkinson, recorded and produced by Thomas Griffin for Splicing Block. Our music, our brilliant music, is courtesy of Then Thickens. Cheers.